Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. The word dyslexia is derived from the Greek dis, meaning difficulty with, and lex, to speak. That's according to the International Dyslexia Association. Dyslexia is described as a specific learning disability that is neurological in origin. But my guests today don't use the term disability. They see dyslexia as a phenomenon or a way to learn differently. And it's not something to be ashamed of, but to be celebrated. David Pendergast is the headmaster of the Kildonan School, which specializes in teaching children with dyslexia. David Flink is the executive director of Eye to Eye, a national grassroots mentoring program for those with learning disabilities. And August Hunt is a senior at Kildonan. Welcome, everyone. Thanks Thanks. for having us. Glad to be here. Now, I want to start with you, August. Um, Help us understand what life is like for someone with dyslexia. Yeah, so I was diagnosed in second grade with uh, severe developmental dyslexia. Um, so for that, it means I have trouble uh, reading, writing, and spelling. Um, but now when it gets to numbers, I'm golden. I yeah. can do math. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to you know literature, that's where you lose me. Um, you know, I mean, even the worst part for me is going out to dinner and eating. Um, you know, I love food, but I never can read the uh, menu at the restaurants. Now, explain to me, when you can't read it, do you mean you can read some of it, or do the words get mixed up? Um, I'll mix words around. I'll say words that aren't really there. And then just normally when I'm trying, to, I can read, but it just takes me uh, much longer to read it. Um, and just now I've really learned how to kind of cope with it, um, such as, you know, I'll ask the waiter, you know, what would you suggest? I'll ask people, has anybody eaten here before? And then kind of get a sense a census of what there is to eat. And then I normally just kind of order something random and hope for the best. Now, August, before you were diagnosed, if you can remember back then, um, were you struggling and didn't know why, therefore it made you uncomfortable? Or did your parents kind of help you along? How did you feel before you realized, okay, this is the name for something I'm struggling with? Yeah, like I said, I was diagnosed in second grade, so it was pretty, pretty young. Um, first grade, you know, I was young enough to just kind of just pass on by. Um, you know, what really got tough was around like third grade when I got started pulling out of the classrooms um, and kids started to know that, you know, something was different. And you said you found ways to cope with it now, like you asked the waiter. And, and is it something that you feel comfortable with talking about um, when you're amongst people that you don't know? Or is it something that you kind of wait until you get to know someone a little bit more before you reveal to them? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Um, I was very shy about my dyslexia. If you didn't proke and prod, um, you know, I wouldn't tell anyone until it was the summer of my 10th grade year. Um, I joined an organization called I2I. Which David runs. Yeah, Eye to Eye is a national mentoring program that matches college and high school students who have dyslexia and ADD with young students who have dyslexia and ADD. And um, what a treasure it was to, to get to get you, man, involved in our program. I mean, I, I think you're going to say something nice, but the truth is, the, <laughs> and I'll let you do that, uh, but the truth is you did so many amazing things for the students that you impacted. Um, so I, I'll pass it back to you. That's no, I don't the, want you to pass it back yet, David. What did he do? Just pat him on the back a little. I want to hear what he yeah, did for so, the students. Yeah, so, so August comes in, and, and he's telling you, you know, oh, I'm, I'm nervous about talking about my dyslexia. I'm right. nervous about, you know, what it might mean. And within... I don't know, maybe two weeks. He came to our national training camp, and so we spent a couple of days just saying, you know, here's why you're pretty awesome, and guess what? You can uniquely empower someone in a way that, like, I can't because right. I'm not in school anymore. 
I mean, you can go and tell a little kid, you know, I'm dyslexic and I struggle with reading, you know, the menu at the restaurant still, but I'm, I'm an ace when it comes to art and when it comes to school now. And um, in, the, in the scope of this short little period of time, not only did he start quite literally wearing like a shirt that said, like, this is what dyslexia looks oh, like. Oh, wow. Um, but started sharing that story with an entire campus at Kildonan, um, which is a school that um, serves kids who have learning disabilities. And I have an expert here to my left, <laughs> Kevin, who can talk about that. Um, but also then sharing that story in the larger community. I mean, I remember within a year, there was a picture of um, August in Paris, Texas, holding a sign above his head. Um, you know the picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, claiming that this is what dyslexia looks like. Right. So from from you know kind of feeling like that's a, an identity to maybe be ashamed of to feeling like it's an identity that is to be celebrated, which is something that's true to my story. So to see someone, um, you know, fifteen, twenty, we won't get into the age, <laughs> a couple years my junior, um, carrying that flag is something that's really powerful and and passing it on to a whole another generation that's going to do the same. So let me ask August, what was that changing point? How did you come out of your shell, so to speak, to be able to say, this is who I am and I'm proud of this? It was a tricky situation um, in the way that in second... In second grade, everyone was tested, and more than half my class was diagnosed as dyslexic um, due to the fact that for every student, the state gave them more money if you were dyslexic. Um, so, but I were, was, so were they actually dyslexic, or did the school no, just, just wanted to They get weren't the reading at that point Okay, um, perfectly. Um, so truly, I was the only dyslexic, um, the only one that really struggled, the only one that was pulled out during the day. How did you find out that it was not just you? It was a bunch of other people who then didn't necessarily have dyslexia. Um, I found out because they started reading. Ah, okay. They started reading and I still wasn't. So um, did you at one point feel like, hey, you know, we all are together and then sort of be to be separated and say, oh, wait, it's just me. Did that come into play at all? It did occur. It did occur. You know, I figured, you know, when it was half my class, I was like, okay, this is nothing wrong. Um, And then when it became just me, um, you know, I kind of thought I was the only one. And then I found eye to eye where it was, you know, this like LD Palooza, um, like David (laughs) Flink says, um, you know, at the uh, OI, at the organization. Um, And it really opened my eyes that there were other people, you know, just like me. Right. and you know, I got on the plane um, to fly back home to Texas, um, leaving um, the organizing institute. And the person next to me said, you know, why are you in Rhode Island? And I just straight out said, oh, well, I have dyslexia. And I'm here for eye to eye. And he kind of, I think it was, it came on a little strong. <laughs> he was a little thrown back. But after I was done talking to him, I kind of sat back and I got comfy. And I realized that was the first time I ever started a sentence without uh, was starting a sentence with dyslexia. Wow. Now, this is this question I'm just going to throw out for anybody. Uh, is dyslexia associated with other disorders always, or can someone just have dyslexia? Uh, this is David Flink. And um, so there's, there's sort of two ways, just to pull back for a minute before I dive right into your question, there's kind of two ways to understand dyslexia. One way is through the medical model. So what do we know in the science, right? And so what we know is around 40% of the time, folks who have dyslexia also have something like ADHD, like what I have, which is an attentional issue. So there are ways to kind of look at it in that lens. But if you look at it just for a moment through a different lens, which is what I would call the social model or the experiential model, dyslexia exists in certain contexts. So when I was a kid in fifth grade, and like August, you know, struggling to learn to read, and my job was to read in a book, 
I had dyslexia. Now I have an iPhone, and in that iPhone, I can highlight any text, and it will just speak it to me. It's built into the phone. My dyslexia vanishes in that moment. So is it a question of a disability, or is it a question of context? And so I really would argue that um, as we answer questions like, where does dyslexia overlap to other quote-unquote disabilities, it's really a matter of, well, what is the context to understand that question? Um, and that's one of the things that I think, do, you know, at Kildonan they do so well about this whole student idea. They're not just trying to fix the dyslexia. They're actually teaching the whole student. They're teaching about social-emotional intelligence. They're actually preparing someone for life, not just to read a book, because as we know, the books aren't always around. At some point, you just need the, con- the content in those books. Right. So um, we don't need to associate. Is, is it proper to call it a disorder then? Is that the right term? Some folks use that term. I don't. And, and I know David doesn't. What, what do I, you I know use? August doesn't. I call it a phenomenon. A phenomenon? Um, I don't even like the word condition because condition, again, goes back to this idea of it's disability, that, it, that it's negative. Uh, and, you know, if you go on a, a, the Wikipedia entry for dyslexia, you'll, you'll, you'll see words like a malformation. There, there are three parts of, the, of uh, the left hemisphere of the brain that is malformed in the dyslexic, according to, to Wikipedia. But those very phenomenon in the brain, as I said before, give dyslexics all sorts of talents creatively and in problem solving, artistically. And there's a book on this very subject called The Dyslexic Advantage, which was required reading for everyone at Kildonan last summer. And so I call it a phenomenon because it carries with it all of of these gifts and talents, um, along with struggles, yes, with written language, but written language was probably created by non-dyslexics. It's an arbitrary ordering of, of, you know, two-dimensional visual-spatial symbols. And the very... Uh, again, phenomenon that makes it difficult for a dyslexic to deal with written language is itself a strength. You know, I have here, I know the listeners can't see this, but this piece of paper. So what is this letter? Right it, here? it looks like a, um, a, a B. And how about this? It looks like a backwards flag. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be a Q. Okay. Right? And so if you look through it... Now right, it looks like a D. Yeah, and what is it? A look? lowercase d. And how about now? And it looks like a P. Right. So the ability instantly to imagine or to see all the different things you can do with that symbol... That's a gift that can make you a fantastic architect. It can make you a, fa- a fantastic graphic artist. And yet we are a non-dyslexia society, right? A a written language literacy-based society that says, well, that's a disability if you can instantly picture the four ways that letter can work. So it's sort of like um, conforming. So there's this idea, because when I was doing a lot of research uh, before the show, I did find that there were a lot of terms that did associate dyslexia with something that was negative, or that something that was was something, quote-unquote, wrong, or that something needed to be, it needed to be fixed. But that's not the proper way to look at it as you're as you're pointing out correct correct and so do you find that when people are trying to august um or for david or kevin whoever wants to answer this do you find that when you you almost have to retrain people on how to think about dyslexia when i talk to uh, friends and family that don't really know anything about dyslexia you do have to explain to them that it's not a disability it's just you know a learning difference um you know i just learn a little bit differently than everyone else but i can learn is that how you define it just learning differently a learning difference yeah that's for one me that's my kind of common word that i say 
you know, I don't believe it's a disability. You know, I actually would argue that it's actually not even a learning difference. I mean, the way I conceive of learning is it's transactional. Like, learning tends to happen between you as a person and something else, whether it be something you're reading or maybe, you know, listeners who are tuning in right now are learning, you know, by listening to what we're talking about. Um, But the reality is it's a thinking difference. I, I I would not tell you that my brain is not different than 80% of the population. In fact, there's plenty of research to indicate that's, in fact, true. So the Broca's area and the Wernick's area of my brain, which is where we process language, in fact, does have some differences, and that's why I struggle with processing the symbol-to-sound recognition. I know I'm getting a little in the weeds no, here. No, that's what I, th- I, I want that, actually. We have very intelligent listeners who so, I think well, can get it. The, and you have a good way that, of breaking that, it down. That master's <laughs> in disability studies finally coming into play here. I knew today's so, the day. So <laughs> help, help us understand that, David. Help us understand yeah. the, the way the, the brain works. And, and so, well... There were these uh, researchers out of Yale, the Bennetts, um, Sally and Bennett Shaywitz, and they took pictures of the brain. They took fMRIs. And what they found, if you took a picture of enough people's brain, uh, about 80% of the people, when they were trying to read while taking these pictures, these parts of the brain that were responsible for language light up. That's like a quote-unquote normal brain. And if you were to take a picture of my brain or of August's brain while trying to read, those areas wouldn't wouldn't light light up. Actually, in fact... Interestingly, other areas would light up. We don't, that's about as much of the science that I could speak to, and actually it's about as far as we've gone, and I think there's some interesting stuff emerging in the future to understand it better. But I, I wouldn't claim that my brain is, is, um, is not broken in that area, like I, but it's okay. I'm a, we're allowed to have strengths and weaknesses. This right. idea, but I'm not broken. That's the distinction. Right. You know, it's okay to be good at some things and not good at others. My wife reminds me every day that I'm not the best at cleaning dishes. Mm. It, I have a dish disability. <laughs> oh. I'm sure there's some part in my brain that just doesn't know exactly how to scrub that pot properly. You've got to come to the kill and kitchen. <laughs> you don't want me there. I'm oh, telling you, it's okay. just going to be trouble. Or maybe I need a good tutor. You could do uh, one-on-one tutoring there, there, so that's for. good, yeah. Um, but there's other things that I know that I'm exceptional at, and, and you know, that's that's great too. I have a good verbal IQ so I can have a conversation with you and follow where we're going. So that's okay. And I actually think I think differently. I don't think I learn differently. You know, I think learning is totally dependent on what I'm trying to learn and how it's trying to be pushed into my brain. Um, Or I'd rather be pulled. So instead of being pushed into something, let's be pulled into the future. So how do, again, a question for anyone, how, what are the first steps you would, you would take to re-educate the, the average population on dyslexia not being a disorder? It's just thinking differently. Well, I have one easy thing because August is standing to my right here. I mean, folks with dyslexia are every fifth person you meet. Some people would say every tenth person you meet. But either way, we're actually a very large part of the population we just don't talk about it. Like, if you were to have come into this room, you wouldn't have looked at us. And so I see someone, like, I mean, I think young people are, in fact, the future for this. And I see the way August now, you know, turns to the person on the plane and says, leading with I'm dyslexic. And now... And in and, a very confident way. Yeah. Right. And, and, and not in, like, you, you were just sharing your story. Not in an mm-hmm. apologetic yeah, way, in like, a confident hey, way. This is who yeah. I am. Yeah, this is what I happen to be doing this weekend. And I, I've seen the way that now you've gotten... How many people would you say... As a result of that first moment, you've either told your story to or gotten someone else to tell their story. It's been like three and a half, two and a half years now, um, so hundreds, I'd right. say. And that's where I think we can break down these misconceptions. It's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a word campaign. It's, it's folks like you, Robin, you know, letting us 
take some time on your air to share our stories. And then, you know, hopefully someone listening is going to say, oh, so that's what dyslexia is. It's easy to have misconceptions. We all have them about lots of things. And the way you break those misconceptions is just, you know, trying to get someone to tell that story. It's very true. When you start talking about it, you start meeting people. You know, it's amazing when, you know, you introduce the conversation and say, you know, I have dyslexia and somebody else responds, you do? Because I do too. <laughs> right. And just if you start the conversation, it'll be amazing to, you know, see what you hear. Because um, a lot of people do, but are just so shy of talking about it. How do you find, August, um, the students that you mentor? How, uh, well, I mean, you've mentored a few of them, so I, but how do you give them that type of confidence? Yeah, we um, talk to them and tell them, you know, our stories. And some of them are very open about it um, after, you know, a few weeks. And some of them are still very shy about it. But, um, for example, we had a Pin Pals um, in California. They were, uh, I think it was an O'Dowd chapter there. Um, We wrote them letters or drew them pictures um, for some, and then they did the same for us. Um, And when we received the letters from them, we pulled up a huge map of the United States, and we asked all the kids, you know, do you know where California is? And, you know, we kind of got Texas, Colorado, different little places, and we finally found and narrowed down um, California. And I said, you know, how many miles? You know, some said 50, some said 100, and we... So it was a little bit more, a few more miles than that. And, you know, we told them that there are kids just like you there. And one of the kids raised his hand, and I remember exactly him saying this. He said, there's other kids like me. How they didn't realize that, you know, outside of their school, there's other kids that are dyslexic. Oh, wow. So just having that experience to share to them that, you know, you aren't the only one. There's other people like this. Kevin, how does Kildonan help not just uh, obviously with the with 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 learning in school, but socially? How do you help students with dyslexia socialize and feel comfortable, not just with other dyslexic, but with people in general? Well, to answer that question, first, I need to give a shout out to eye to eye because they've been very helpful in addressing that social aspect of dyslexics at our at our school. Yes, led by students, but David brought it to, to our, our school. August, you know, really made it the, the chapter strong at our school. And that has been key, including when August led, wasn't it a Guinness World Record? Uh, for the most dyslexics in one place, shouting, I'm, I'm dyslexic and proud right on our campus. When was that? Wait. This was uh, wow. last year. Um, I started um, this program. Actually, I think David could sum up how it got started. It was just people claiming it. It was just like, how many people can we get in a room saying in one time, you know, like, I'm dyslexic and proud. That was the whole idea. How many? And we broke the number with like 87 Something like that. And it was just, yeah, getting all these students at uh, Kildonan gathered together and just screaming, um, you know, I'm LD and proud to be. And we broke oh, the wow. record, Idai's record. But unfortunately, Idai broke our record Uh-oh. this summer at the OI. Um, I forget the exact number, but I know it was at least I think we had close to 100. 150 or something. Uh-oh. But the idea is, like, you know, we don't even want to own that. Our hope is now someone listening is going to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to break that record. Yeah, That's great. Kevin, what would a parent or teacher need to look out for to say, hey, my, my child might be dyslexic or the, my, my student might be dyslexic? Are there signs to look out for that they might 
want to look out for. <laughs> Actually, we heard some of those signs right from August's story. He was talking about doing reversals with B's and D's. I, you know, at a young age, that that's that's a telltale sign. You know, when you're heading into second grade or so. Uh, I think what August was also talking about that he was right with his class until everyone started reading and he wasn't. I mean, th- that is a clear signal. And parents get to know their kids obviously very well, even before second grade, and get to know how bright they are. So if if you have a son or daughter who's very intelligent and yet they're struggling with the reading, writing, and spelling aspects of being in school, um, at, at really from the beginning of the of the, an elementary program, um, that's a, a tip off that you you may need um, to uh, uh, get your your son or daughter tested and talk to some professionals who who, who are knowledgeable about this area. Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. I'm discussing the issues associated with dyslexia with Fordham alum Kevin Pendergast. He's the headmaster of the Kildonan School, which specializes in teaching children with dyslexia. I'm also speaking with David Flink, the executive director of Eye to Eye. It's a national grassroots mentoring program for those with learning disabilities. And in the studio is August Hunt, a senior at Kildonan. Are there any requirements in schools for how a a teacher will um, be able to help students who have dyslexia? Are there requirements? I mean, there are approaches that work and approaches that don't and approaches that help a little and approaches that help a lot. And what we have found is the Orton-Gillingham method. Which is? which is really an approach to teaching uh, students with dyslexia, which is based on phonics, teaching them phonics patterns, teaching them spelling rules. And uh, because non-dyslexics like myself, you know, the whole language approach to reading works for a number of us because for non-dyslexics, sight memory when reading works uh, pretty well. You can remember how something is spelled after reading the word a number of times. Um, And... For dyslexics, it doesn't work that way, and their brains don't work that way. And for them to be able to read well and to and to and to write well, um, they do need to be taught patterns of language and rules of language, but in a multi-sensory, engaging way. And the best way to do that is one-on-one, because there are Orton-Gillingham-based methods and programs uh, that can work in a group setting. But just as August was saying before, every dyslexic is different. So even in a room with only five dyslexics, you're going to get five slightly different learning profiles and, and approaches to, to, to gaining knowledge through written language. So, Kevin, do they have to be tweaked per student? Does this, the, the skills, are they tweaked per student? You said before they had, they'll just each have different learning abilities. Okay. And learning styles. Learning profiles. That's yeah. what it's called? Okay. Right. Yeah. And and that's the phrase I actually used before. I was learning profile. Is that's the phrase yeah, you're going for? That's what I was trying to, was I was trying to think of. That pro- that's okay. right. And so if and they s- each have different learning profiles, how you have to tweak you, the skills that you teach them 
per student. Is that correct? It goes even further than that. So the, the phrase we use for the tutoring we do is diagnostic and prescriptive. And what we mean by that is, and I was a tutor at Kildonan for years, and so if I would do a lesson plan for student X, and I would go in on Tuesday, and I, I would see him struggling with one area where I thought I was going to move very quickly, and then he was moving very quickly through another area where I, where I thought there was going to be a struggle, and, that, and the, uh, um, I would change what I was doing right on the spot, and the next day's lesson plan might look significantly different because you're as a Orton-Gillingham tutor at Kildon, and you are constantly looking at where your student is, where he or she has gone, and what he or she needs every day. And so you're adjusting what you're doing, what you're teaching, which patterns you're teaching, how you're teaching them. You're learning that a given student might be very gifted visually, and and so with her the next day, you might use more visual materials when you're teaching a given phonics pattern or spelling rule. For to touch up on all three of them, um, or two of them, sorry, dyslexia counting. <laughs> um, but uh, no, for parents out there listening, for me the biggest thing was assistive technology, which at the Kildonan School is very strong. But, you know, if you aren't able to go to a school like the Kildonan School where, you know, all the students are dyslexic, um, you know, get the uh, students, um, you know, into assistive technology. And when I mean assistive technology, I mean, you know, iPhones. Like David was saying, you know, he gets all his, you know, for me, I get all my text messages, emails, anything on the iPhone that you can highlight, you can read. Um, I mean, I might look a little weird walking down the street, you know, holding my iPhone to my ear. But it's allowed me to send, you know, emails on my phone, long text message. I can reply really fast by just speaking into the phone. I mean, everything I say is put down. Um, there's also programs like um, Inspiration, um, Dragon Dictation. Dragon Dictation is free. I mean, I love that you can you can download it to your phone for free. And it's just, an app that... It's an app. You push the button, you just speak into it, and it just writes it for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Spelling and is generally correct. <laughs> it is. And then you can get to read back to. Um, and then, like, a short little story for the Kildon School, um, they got me into it. And it's actually um, a curriculum that you take for a whole semester. Um, and it teaches you all the technology that you need to know um, to really use it to your advantage. Um, and they got me into um, my first year, ninth grade. Um, they asked me to write a basic paragraph. Um, so you're looking five, six sentences long. Pretty easy for anyone else other than me or maybe, you know, David Flink. And it took me an hour and 45 minutes to type a, um, you know, five sentences. And that's um, because you couldn't... The problem keyboards. wasn't to get the ideas. I had the ideas. Right. The problem was I'd start typing, you know, the dog walked. And I didn't know how to spell walked. And I'd put so much effort and brain power on walk that I'd forget the rest of the sentence. Right. So then I'd sit there for the next five minutes trying to think of the rest of the sentence, then get two more words in, and then lose thought. And it's got to um, be frustrating. Oh, it was it was miserable. And then I'd get distracted and see this spot on the wall and look at that spot for 10 minutes. And then I realized time went by. Um, but then going back in, I used uh, Dragon Dictation a month later from doing that, you know, an hour and 45 minutes for those five sentences. I did a five paragraph essay using Dragon Dictation, which Dragon Dictation is you wear a headset um, with a little microphone. And everything you say is, um, you know, typed kind of onto the computer. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a five paragraph essay in uh, 45 minutes. So I reduced my time and then I realized that I can do something 
by myself. Um, you know, the I can't even just say what that meant just to myself, right. you know. Because I can imagine the frustration when you can't do it like it's quote unquote supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. But then when you realize, hey, I, I, I know what to do. You know, I know how to do it. I just need help or maybe another method in doing this. That must have been very, very relieving. It was so relieving. Then I mean, that was doing ninth grade now and as a senior, um, you know, I just finished a seven-page paper and got 96 wow. on it. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I might have a paper I need you to help me with. <laughs> you know, when I hear stuff like this, what makes me excited is I think we're just unlocking potential. And for people who maybe aren't going to be revealing some dyslexic personal story when they hear, like, August's story or my story, what, what I think can be exciting is the idea that we can unlock potential for all of us. Um, and don't we want to unlock minds? I mean, isn't that kind of what all of us kind of strive for? And, and I think about, like, we keep talking about the iPhone and Steve Jobs. I've heard he's dyslexic. And so, you know, but you had to unlock his mind right. in order to get, get to all of that. And look what you got. Yeah, and Richard <laughs> Branson and Chuck Schwab and Paul Orfla, um, the founder of Kinko's, and all these people. But we had to, like, give them a way to have access to these ideas. And I think the more we can do that, the better we all will be. You didn't mention Tom Cruise on that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, I have to watch Oblivion to see if uh, I'm still a fan. But <laughs> Thank you very much. Robin, Thank thanks you. for having us. It's Thank you so much. Here. My thanks to Kevin Pendergast, David Flink, and August Hunt. I'd also like to thank my producer, Alan Canlick. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarkey and Cityscape for next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.